Hello, my name is Larry Hiles. I'm the preaching minister at the Milford Church of Christ. Thank you for taking the time to watch or listen to this message. Please feel free to share it with friends. Also, if it's impacted your life in any way, reach out to us and let us know how. If you live in the Centerburg or Mount Vernon area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 3648 Johnstown Road in Centerburg, Ohio. We look forward to the opportunity of meeting you. So when we think about uh, church, a core value I have is I really do trust that everybody involved in the church has the best interests of the church in mind. When you think about that. If, if you can start with that starting place in the body of Christ, one of the things that happens is that we can agree to disagree but still get along. Sometimes I think when we come into church world, uh, we, we disagree, but we also don't believe the person has the best interests of the church in mind. So it was through trial and error that this developed, but I have learned that when you have that core value that each person involved trusts that they have the best interest of the church in mind, you can really do a lot of things. In a family, we need to trust that every person is going to fulfill their role. In the military, you need to trust that the person in the fighting position next to you is going to stay awake when it's their turn to guard. Uh, in the church world, we just got to trust each other. Uh, so, and then a final thing is a willing sacrifice. Each person on the team must have a willingness to sacrifice their will for the greater good of the team, for the greater good of the team. Uh, so these three components are essential for every team. And if you'll take one of these elements out, there's disaster waiting. So here's what we've got to grasp, that just after God created Adam and Eve, uh, Adam, he created Adam, he created Eve. And in such, he brought two together, creating and forming a community, a team of people. And from that foundation, God has always desired to use a unified group of people for the purpose of fulfilling his mission here on this earth. In the Old Testament, God chose a nation. In the New Testament, Jesus chose 12 disciples, and, and these 12 disciples were given the task to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> One of the major problems with Christianity today is the amount of people that believe that they can have Christianity without having the church. And it's one of those things you commonly hear people declare, right? All I need is my Bible and a tree stand, or all I need is my Bible and a boat. Notice I'm using most references that guys would grab a hold of. Or all I need is my Bible and my quiet time back and forth from work. It sounds spiritual, but the problem is, the problem is, is that it's not biblical. It's not. God has always intended for his people to be gathered together in a unified body of believers called the church. Called the church. Uh, so when we think about this, uh, the most monumental task in humanity is given to a unified group of people. Jesus said, all authority on, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them <coughs> in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them uh, to keep all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, if we're going to accomplish this task, if we're going to do this, We've got to stay together. We have to. <coughs> Sorry, that this scratch is getting pretty tough here. Here's the pledge that we're going through today. I will be a unifying church member. I'll be a unifying church member. Tom Rainer wrote these words in his book, small book. When you, when you become a Christian, God expects you to be a part of his church. But when you become a part of his church, he wants you to be... <coughs> He wants you to be a unifying presence there. Let's state that a bit more strongly. He demands that you become a unifying presence there. Unity is so important in the Bible. It's so important in the Bible that we've got to see it each time we open it up. It's there. Psalm 130. 
3, verses 1 through 3. David declares, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together. He describes what that would look like in, in some imagery that I'm not sure I completely understand, but it's like a good oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there Yahweh commanded the blessing, life forever. <coughs> Solomon wrote these words in Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one because they have a good wages for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up. Thanks. Thank you. I might need four or five of them. But. Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one because they have good wages for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion, but woe to the one who falls when there is not a second one to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can stand against him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn. One more, a uh, couple more verses here to look at. Jesus spoke these words, I do not ask on behalf of those alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Any one of these passages of Scripture would do when we think about the idea of unity. But there is one passage of Scripture. Uh, a few years ago, I decided to read the book of Ephesians over and over and over. I would read it, flip back over, read it again, flip back over, read it again. I, I forget how long I did this. And as a result, I preached through the book of Ephesians uh, um, but there's one passage that I think of in particular when we think about unity. And it's there in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. God's word declares, Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, exhort you to walk in worthy of the calling which you have been called. Now think about that. Let that first verse kind of sink in when we think about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Here, Paul, he has just, fought, he's just declared to this church, he's, he's kind of set up the, uh, some theological truths. You know, we have redemption through the blood of Christ in, in chapter 1, verse 7. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit the moment we place our faith in Christ. This Holy Spirit's the deposit, the guarantee of the hope to come, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. We were at one time dead in our sin, chapter 2, verse 1, but God made us alive because of the great love with which he loved us. Uh, we've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, chapter 2. 2 verses 8 through 10. It's God's desire that all, that all experience his forgiveness through Jesus Christ and the responsibility of the church is to take that message to the ends of the earth. Chapter 3 verse 10. It's the manifold wisdom of God that, that he be made known through the body of believers. And, and from that, from that, Paul has this challenge. He says, listen, I, the prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of that. Now, now, when I read this, one of the things that I do is I usually shut my Bible up and I, I kind of think through that process. How is it possible that I begin to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, worthy of Christ? And so whatever comes next is that hint, that clue for us as followers of Christ of how we're supposed to accomplish that. And so I think it's of great note to really grab a hold of this. And here, here's what he says. With all humility... And all gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. 
being diligent to keep the unity in the, of, of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you also are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. So Paul gives this challenge to us as followers of Christ, and we've got to grab a hold of what this means. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy, worthy of the calling. Church, what he says next is most important for us, and what he says, he goes to unity, right? He says, I exhort you to walk and be diligent to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. If this were the only place that that were said, it would be important enough, but it's something like this is said elsewhere too. Colossians chapter 1. For this reason also, since the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with full knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respect, bearing fruit and good work, and multiplying in, in the full knowledge of God. Philippians chapter 1, only live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about your circumstances, that you are standing firm, look what he says, in one spirit, with one mind, contending together for the gospel. So this idea of unity and fighting for unity is key in the body of Christ. And in this Ephesians letter, Paul gives us a few ways to do that. He says, be completely humble, be completely humble. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to, we, we learn from the book of Romans. G.K. Chesterton wrote these, these words in uh, his book, Orthodoxy. What we suffer from today is humility in the wrong place. Modesty has moved from the organ of ambition into the organ of conviction, where it is never meant to be. A man was meant to be doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth. This has been exactly reversed. Nowadays, the part of a man that man does exert is exactly the part he ought not to assert himself. The part he doubts is exactly the part he ought to doubt, the divine reason. So we need to be completely humble. The second thing in that Ephesians passage, he said, be completely gentle. <coughs> being gentle does not mean being weak. That's one of the things we've got to grab a hold of. And as a matter of fact, being gentle does not mean removing masculinity from the church. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean, mean removing masculinity from the world. To be gentle means to understand where your strength comes from, and it comes from Christ. Uh, so being courageous also doesn't mean being a jerk. And sometimes I think we forget those truths. There's no doubt there are times in the church that we're going to have to confront somebody, a brother or sister over sin. There's no doubt that there are going to be times that people have to confront us uh, about our own sin. And when that takes place, we need to understand gentleness. We need to understand the idea. Gentleness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. What would happen in the body of Christ if we would expect this each and every encounter we have with one another? If we were to expect this in our board meetings, if we were to expect this when we gather together for groups, if we were to expect this in those moments that we disagree, to be gentle. He says also, be patient with one another. Be patient with one another. A lack of patience is really a display of a lack of humility, right? We know this as parents. We have to be patient with our children as they're growing and maturing. We have to. As a matter of fact, when they start to walk, we don't stand over them when they fall and ridicule them each time they fall. 
And in the church, in the body of Christ, we've got to understand that that life happens for people. And as life happens, we need to be patient and stand alongside of folks. Depending upon upon the version of the Bible uh, you read, long-suffering, patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit as well. We should expect this to be present. God's word says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst of sinners. Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. God's word says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Also, we have to bear with one another in love. That word bear is a good one, right? You know, because it gives us this idea when you bear with something, it's not as though you, continue, you particularly enjoy it. And there are times in the body of Christ that we have to bear with one another. And it's not just bear with one another, but in love. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but there are opportunities for us to disagree. In the body of Christ, the songs we sing, the clothes we wear, the color of carpet, the color uh, that we're going to paint the walls. There are so many different things. And, and there are going to be times in the body of Christ that we're going to simply have to just look at each other and understand we've got to bear with one another in love, and we've got to understand the realities of what's taking place here. Have you ever noticed how quickly we can turn, uh, we, can, we can run by certain phrases in the Bible? You know, that idea of bearing with, we need to really grab a hold of. And from that, Paul says, be diligent. Be diligent to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Some versions say make every effort, make every effort to keep peace. Pretty straightforward. Be diligent, make every effort. Here's what this means. And this is one of the things that I think we forget in the body of Christ today. That we have to strive, we have to fight, we have to claw, we have to plead for the unity of the body of Christ. It needs to be central in everything that we do. As we make decisions, we need to consider the unity of the body of Christ. As we think about changes, we need to consider the unity of the body of Christ. And over years, the years, the church has fought about so many things, so many things, music, bylaws, leadership decisions, the goofiest of things. What would happen in the body of Christ if we were to be as passionate about the unity of the body of Christ as we were about the instruments we play for worship? What would happen if we were to be as passionate about the unity of the body of Christ as we were about leadership decisions and and issues that really aren't changing anything biblically? See, here's what happens. We have to fight for the unity of the church because once we stop fighting the right battles, we're conquered by the wrong battles. See, once we stop fighting for unity, we're conquered by all of those things that would quickly divide us. And Paul, he goes on in this passage to give us that set of ones. That set of ones. It's over and over and over used. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is over all, through all, and in all. Do you think unity is important? It's key. We've got to fight for it. We've got a claw for unity. So Paul moves on from there to talk about the fact that God has gifted us through the Holy Spirit and he's placed leadership in the church to prepare God's people for works of service. I'm going to read those verses at the end of this message. And the last verse Paul shares in this chapter, he says, instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, graciously forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also graciously forgave you. Today, 
Here's what we have to do. Here's what I'm asking us to do as a body of Christ. We have to declare war on anything and everything that's going to divide us here at the body of Christ of Milford. We must. It's key for us. We must make every effort. We must be diligent to keep the unity and the bond of, peace, of the spirit and the bond of peace. Do, do you know tactics that Satan uses for us? You know, I, I've coached football for a couple different high schools and one of the things about football is watching film. And the whole reason you watch film is not to just see which players are good and which players aren't good. Is you learn the tactics, the, what the other team is trying to do. It's what coaches spend most of their time doing away from the practice field. A high school coach probably watches at least 20 hours of film a week on their opponent, uh, head coach. Now, me as an assistant coach, I didn't do that much. Uh, the, the, the other guys, the, the head coaches over there, they, they, you could tell they knew everything. They knew what was coming up. And what are some of the tactics the devil uses to divide us? First one is this. It's an apathetic attitude toward the mission. An apathetic ad attitude toward the mission. See, the fight looks different when you're involved in it. And does. When you're not involved in the fight, it's easy to criticize and judge the decisions that others make. It's one of the things I learned referee in high school basketball. Referee in high school basketball is, is a lot of fun, especially when it's a junior high game or actually a freshman game when there's about 10 or 15 people in the stands. Uh, and uh, I'm being very sarcastic here because when there's only about 10 or 15 people in the stands, about eight of those people are vocal and they think they know the rules better than the guy on the floor. Even some of the coaches think they know the rules better than the guy on the floor. But when you're in the stands watching a game, have you ever noticed how easy it is to spot the, the, the calls the referee misses? And here's what's happening. Remember, you're seated up at this angle, right? You're seated in your position, enjoying the game, watching that game, not involved in it at all, and you're not blocked. But when you're a referee in a basketball game and you're five foot ten, and there's a six foot five guy in front of you, uh, and, and he's, there's another guy on the side and, and behind him, and he's going up for a basket, you don't see all that contact that the people up in the stands see. The game looks different when you're involved in it. The same thing is true in the church. Yeah, I have learned and I've seen that most of the unwarranted complaints come from people that aren't involved. They come from people that aren't in the fight. Because when you're involved in the fight, you don't have time to, to, to criticize small decisions. You don't have time to point out everything that's being done wrong. Right? When, when you lock arms with a brother and sister in Christ for the sake of the gospel, it's hard to, to be divided against them. It is. You see, we're blessed in the United States of America. We are. We're so blessed in the United States of America that we can divide from our Christian brothers and sisters who go to other churches with different names on the front of their churches because we have different views than they do. We can divide like that. But do you know in other places around the world that Pentecostals and Church of Christ missionaries work together? That Baptist missionaries work with Pentecostal missionaries and and sadly, sometimes when our missionaries travel home to our churches, they have to clean up their stories about who they work with because they're afraid that they'll lose support at their churches. And it's not just here, it's in other churches as well. See, we're so fortunate in the United States of America, we can be divided over things that we really don't need to divide over. But when you're focused on the mission, you don't divide over those things. Jesus said, and if kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. A second tool Satan uses. This is a fun one. It's a gossiping spirit that destroys. A gossiping spirit that destroys. I don't believe we need to spend a lot of time defining what gossip is. Romans chapter 1. Having been filled with all unrighteousness, 
Look at this list of sins. Listen to it, or it'll be up on the screen. And having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Right in the list of that lovely list of sins, right in the middle of that list is gossip. I mean, there's some pretty big sins in there, right? There's some things in there that we were like, oh, man, that's a bad one. But, man, we tolerate gossip in the body of Christ. The church can be an easy place to gossip. It can. Prayer gatherings can become gossip point sessions. Sometimes leadership meetings can become gossip sessions. Sometimes our one-off meetings when another leader's not there can become gossip sessions. Do you know how you put an end to gossip? It's pretty simple, right? It's pretty simple to put an end to gossip. Just tell somebody you don't want to be a part of it. Or if somebody starts to gossip about somebody, hey, that's a pretty interesting thought. Let's go get them and ask them talk about it with them. If you were to do that, gossip ends. It ends. The, writer, the, the proverb writer said this, a gossip portrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. James wrote this about the tongue. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of a deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in the image of God. Gossip should never be tolerated in the body of Christ. Don't be the source of gossip or its cousin slander. Stop it when it happens. 1 Peter 3.10, the one who desires to love, to, to li- the one who desires life, to love and see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceit. Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. That's a tool of Satan, is gossip. A third tool. It's a lack of trust for your leaders. A lack of trust for your leaders. There's a great danger in preaching a message like this and saying things like this and, uh, because it could go as being self-serving. But thankfully, in our body of believers, in our churches, we're led by a group of elders. Uh, and, and then the preacher works with those elders. But the elders, and then we have a board here at this church of elders and deacons. And, and, and these guys didn't know or don't know that I was going to ask them to do this. But would our elders and deacons stand up for just a second? So got Tom back there, Doug's over there. So uh, and then uh, so thanks guys. I just want everybody to see you. Jesse's over here. So um, here's what I know about these men. They love the Lord. They do. Here's what I also know about these men because I know all mankind. They're not perfect. They're going to make decisions for the body of Christ that you second guess and question. Sometimes those decisions are going to be wrong. Sometimes they're going to listen to preachers and do things that other people may not understand what's going on. These men love the church, right? I've sat in meetings with them. There's not one ounce of selfish ambition among any of them, right? They have convictions. And and remember, if you don't agree with those convictions, if you can start with that first thing, trust that they have the best interests of the church in mind, and we can go a long way to keep the unity in the body of Christ. They love you. They do. 
and, and, and I've heard them speak about the people of this church. I've heard them pray for the people of this church. Right? And, and uh, they sacrificially live and give toward the ministry of this church. Is there room for improvement in these men? Yes. Is there room for improvement in, in your preacher? Yes. But can we just be honest? And when we look in the mirror and we say, there's room for improvement for me as well. We can get to a point of trusting these people for the decisions they make. It's a tool that Satan uses to divide the church. It's a lack of trust in, their lead, in the leadership. A fourth tool used by Satan. It's an absence of love for the body of Christ. An absence of love. And we know agape love. Every time I, I come to this word love, I, I want to go over the four loves, and I'm not going to do that again. But, but this agape love, it's, it's a love that, that loves because love's the right thing to do, not because it's anything beautiful, not because in, you, you may have something in common. Sometimes you don't have things in common with people you worship with. It's not because uh, there's, uh, there's uh, affection there. It's because you love. It's an absolute love for the body of Christ. Absolute. Have you ever noticed what's truly missing in a community that holds grudges, reminds everyone what is wrong, fails to bear with one another? What's missing is love. It's love. Because if we had love for one another, those things would be easy. They would be easy to have there. Now that, we, now that we've walked down those steps of disunity and the tools that Satan uses, here's what I want to close with. We're going to walk back up that ladder. We're, and how, how do we diligently fight for the unity of the body of Christ? So let's just want to reverse and walk right back, back up that ladder. The first thing we'll do is we will love one another. We will love one another. We're going to make that determination. Then we're going to say today that, that, that we are going to look at each other as the body of Christ here at Milford. And we're going to declare that is my brother and sister in Christ whom I love with that agape love. And I understand that love is what I'm supposed to do as a follower of Christ. We know these words. I quoted these verses last week. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, you also love one another. By this, you all will know that you are my disciples, if you have a love for one another. Right? If we were to stop at that point alone, we would have enough to spark a revival. I, I, I talked about that last week. Right? God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then he tells us that we're to love one another. We must do this. Jesus didn't love us because we were beautiful. Jesus didn't love us because he shared something in common with us. Jesus didn't love us because we were beings that he desired to shower with affection. No, he loved us because God is love. And if we are supposed to be Christians, followers of Christ, and we're supposed to mirror his character in the world, the first thing that people should see when they come into a body of believers is a group of people who have a love for one another. Friends, it's palpable when people walk in on that. It's also palpable when people walk in and it's not there. You can feel it. You can see it. And the body of Christ suffers. So we're going to declare that we have a love for one another. The Bible says... So as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and graciously forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord graciously forgave you, you should also. Above all things, what's he say? Put on love. Do you see what comes next in that verse? Which is the perfect bond of unity. It's the perfect bond of unity. Second thing. We'll trust our leaders. We'll trust them. 
The Bible's clear on leadership and our responsibility toward our leaders. We have to place ourselves in a position to trust the leadership of the church. And if you don't trust the leadership of the church, then you'll never obey them. And obedience is not a word that we like in our culture. See, we like in our culture this idea that everyone has equal say. But the truth is, is God's word doesn't declare that about the leadership of the church. It's to be led by a plurality of elders. And the body of Christ has this responsibility to trust, to pray, to care for their elders and leaders, not to tear them down. The Bible leaves no room for disobedience when it comes to leadership in the church. It really doesn't. Friends, it doesn't. Hebrews, obey your leaders. Here's another word we don't like in American culture. And submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they will do this with joy and not with groaning. For this would be unprofitable for you. It is God who has appointed leadership in the church. And, and please don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying there are never times that leadership within the church has wrong motives or does wrong things. And when that happens, we have means of holding them accountable and calling them. But when we hold them accountable, it should be from a standpoint of restoring them and helping them grow in their leadership. If you merely disagree on a preference level, and this really stems from your lack of trust for your leadership, then I believe, I believe the Bible says you're walking in disobedience. I'm not saying this to be self-serving. If, if, if you can't obey your leadership here, if you can't, and you've, there's too many issues, please find a church that you can because the kingdom of God is more important than the Milford Church of Christ. And your role, remember, everyone has a role in the body of Christ. Your role in the body of Christ is even more important than that. It's, we have to trust our leaders. We have to. What is one of the best ways you can honor your leaders? By trusting them, by praying for them, by walking alongside of them. Multiple times in the New Testament, Paul asks for churches to pray for him. So here's what I'm asking you to do, to pray for your elders and deacons and to pray for Russell and I. Pray that God would protect them and keep them in his word. Pray that he would lead them with wisdom that, that places God's honor at the forefront and God's people over the process of ministry. Pray that they will fight and scratch and claw to keep the unity of the bond of peace here at this church. Third thing we'll do is we'll build one another up with the things that we say. We'll build one another up. Preston graduated from high school in 2013 over at Johnstown. That Johnstown held their graduation ceremonies in the evening. And so after we uh, got done with his graduation, we were hungry. I'm not sure, I mean, it was late, but we were hungry and there was only one place to go get food that night in Johnstown. It was at the Hillcrest Bar and Grill Golf Course Restaurant. And so we decided we're gonna go over there for, for food. And so we did and we sat down and, and uh, April's typically the people watcher. So I always know when she's people watching because she'll get a look. Because uh, she, she doesn't really watch as much as she listens. And she'll get a look on her face and it's kind of that blank stare and that start smiling because I know she's people listening or watching. And, but that night I, I was a people watcher. And, you know, and I looked over her and I don't know if she remembers this, but I said, you know, it's sad. Here in this bar slash grill, there's more community here than there is in the church sometimes. And those people came in hugging each other, talking. They were talking about life. There was no judgment. There was community. There was friendship. There was those things that you can really see. They, don't, they didn't tear each other apart. 
It was, it was a beautiful thing, really, and I left there confused, and I've always held that deep, and I wonder, why do we miss that in the church? Why do we miss that? How often do you see you, or hear or even participate in the exact opposite of that? When somebody's down, we kick them. We often shoot our wounded. We mask it in our prayer meetings and our conversations of concern. If we're going to fight for unity in the bond of, bond of the spirit of peace, do you know there's a verse right there in Ephesians chapter 4? I think Russell's used it in youth group. I know whenever I've used youth group, done youth group, I had the 429 rule. And it's from Ephesians 4.29. And here's what it says. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as good for building up what is needed so that it will give grace to those who hear. So here's the challenge. Here's the, can you spend this week saying only what is helpful for building others up? If so, let me tell you what will happen. You'll find yourself believing that the people you serve with have the best interests of the church in mind. You'll find yourself developing a sense of compassion for those the Lord has called you to serve with. The people you serve with will develop a sense of trust for you and in you that will take this church, this body of believers, to the next level as a body. Uh, the world has seen enough backbiting and bickering in the church. It's time the world see a church that says things that build each other up. Here, here's the last thing. Walking back up that ladder. We'll join the fight. We'll join the fight. We'll live on mission. Something that probably should be stated each week in the church is the purpose of the church. Jesus left the church here for a reason, and that reason was to live on mission. And that mission is a constant fight against the forces of evil in the world that are so desperately seeking to try to destroy the individual, the family, and the body of Christ. That's what's happening. So, and we've got to become a different side of that. We've got to join the fight, live on mission, Coaching football has allowed me to see a, 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 some amazing things. And one of those things is to, to see two young men during the week that would be at each other's throats in practice, sometimes even fighting. And believe it or not, that happens even in high school practice. Teammates fight on the practice field, and it gets broke up pretty quick. And, and, and you know, we don't, we don't force them to hug or anything or work, but to just trust each other. But then when it's time to play the other team, there's something that happens. They're, they're not enemies then, they're brothers because they're on the same mission. It's hard to fight against people you're fighting with. And make no mistake about it, we're at war. There's a war waging all around us. A war that's seeking to remove the family structure away from society. A war that's seeking to remove gender norms as part of the society that God has created. A war that is seeking to discredit God's word in this world. A war that's seeking to divide and conquer the church. And God is not losing the war. He's not. Friends, I think we've got to understand that and grasp that. And I think when we in the church start to live with the fact that God's going to win... You'll, you'll stop hearing us bellyache. You'll stop seeing fear in us. And we will understand that God is going to be victorious. But when we stop fighting together, churches close. The mission suffers. It does. We're allowing the media to define so many things for us. We're allowing the media to define sexuality. We're allowing mainstream culture to, to take away God's word. We're allowing perversion to dominate the family structure. We are allowing big, busy schedules to keep us from corporate worship. We are allowing worldly dreams to lead our parenting. We are allowing personal agendas to wreck the church. We have to stop. We must stop. 
There will come a time where we will not be afforded the opportunities to divide over some of the things we divide over. There will come a time that we need to fight and scratch and claw together for the sake of the mission of the gospel of Christ. And there will come a time that it might even happen for the survival of this body of believers. But if we'll start fighting together now, if we'll stand in mission together now, when that time comes, it'll be much easier to stay together. Much easier. Satan knows that if he can divide, he can destroy. So church, let's fight together. Let's build one another up. Let's trust our leaders. And let's love each other courageously. Paul wrote these words in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 10 through 16. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things, and he himself gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the un to the unity of faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, so that we will no longer be children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful, deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, being joined and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the properly measured working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Man, there's a mouthful and more than a mouthful in those words. But I believe if you'll take the time this week to read over Ephesians, maybe just chapter 4, but maybe if you read it every day, it takes about a half hour to read straight through the book of Ephesians. If you read it every day and let these things sink in, especially chapter 4, we're going to understand the importance of unity. We must come together for the sake of the fight. So here's this pledge. You'll see it in the outline. I will seek to be a source of unity in my church. I know there is no such thing as a perfect church. I am not perfect. I will not be a source of gossip or dissension. For the sake of the gospel of Christ, I will fight for the unity of the body of Christ here at Milford. Friends, church, if we'll make this pledge, I believe we'll see a great difference. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for your grace, for your love, for the opportunity we have to worship you. It's my prayer, Lord, that you will draw us together in perfect unity, glorifying you, loving one another, building each other up, staying on task for the mission you've given us. So Lord, we thank you for this opportunity and we pray your spirit brings about conviction in those areas that each of us need to be convicted and encouragement where we need to be encouraged to continue to fight. We love you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing our song of invitation? If there's anything you need to pray about, I'd love to meet you down in front. If you want to talk about giving your life to Christ, I'd love to discuss that with you as well. Let's stand and sing together.